Please turn in your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. John, chapter 20. And I'll read verses 17 down through verse 23. Jesus said to her, that is to Mary Magdalene, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. Them, if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. This morning we looked at the words of Jesus to Mary Magdalene in verse 17. The very first words that Jesus spoke after his resurrection, a most remarkable thing that the very first person that Jesus revealed himself to after he was raised from the dead was not his apostles, but this woman, Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And he commissioned Mary to go with a message to his disciples, whom he called in verse 17, my brethren. Go to my brethren, he says, and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. And in this term, this title that he gives to his disciples, my brethren, We see the continuing love of Jesus to his disciples. He is now ascending back into heaven. He is risen from the dead. His resurrection is his first step, his entrance into his glory, which is to come. And despite all that has happened that his disciples have done in the previous days, he still regards them as my brethren. The very first time he uses this word in regard to them, a term of his love and affection for them. And he shows us here what his heart will be like once he does ascend and take his seat again back in heaven with the glory of his heavenly father. He calls them his brethren on earth and so he will call them his brethren when he ascends back into heaven And the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that it is so. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11, where we are told that he is not ashamed 
to call us his brethren. We continue tonight to see more of the heart of Jesus' love toward us as his disciples here below on earth, now that he has ascended back to his Father in heaven. In verse 18, Mary Magdalene, she fulfilled her commission, and she took Jesus' words and announced them to his disciples. I ascend, she went and told them. Jesus, he is alive. I have seen him, and this is his message. I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. But this was only a message from Jesus. It was only a message from him through Mary Magdalene. What would he actually speak to them when he saw them again for the very first time from his resurrection? And this will be the focus of our thoughts tonight as we continue to look at the love of Jesus that continues as he enters his glory. Tonight we want to see his announcement of peace to his brethren. This is what we see in verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst, in their midst, and said to them, Peace be with you. John tells us that this meeting took place on the evening of that day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first day of the week. He had been raised early in the morning while it was still dark. Now the evening had come and his disciples are gathered together as believers should do in times of distress and trouble. He tells us in verse 19 that the doors were shut where they were gathered, which means that the doors were locked. And the reason is for the fear of the Jews, because the Sanhedrin had condemned their master to death only days before. And Pilate, the Roman governor, had concurred and had him crucified on a cross. And they were in fear that they were next as the followers of Jesus. And so they were men here who were in hiding and they were huddled in fear. And while they were in this room with the doors locked shut, suddenly and unexpectedly, Jesus came, entered the room and stood in the midst of them. This was only one of many Appearances which Jesus would make with his disciples over the next 40 days. And this meeting here on the evening of this first day of the resurrection was actually the fifth meeting of Jesus with his disciples that day. He had first appeared to Mary Magdalene early in the morning, as we saw earlier in this chapter. Matthew tells us that he appeared to some of the women who were returning from the tomb. Luke tells us that he once appeared to Peter and then to the two men on the road to Emmaus. And John tells us here of his coming to this gathering of his disciples. So from the morning to the evening, on this first day of his resurrection, Jesus appears five times to his disciples. And this will continue 
at different times and in various circumstances from place to place he would meet with his disciples over a period of the next 40 days until he ascends back into heaven. All of this shows his love for his disciples and it shows, it proves his desire to meet with them. He could have remained secluded by himself alone in fellowship with his heavenly father, contemplating the great victory he had achieved in his death and resurrection. But this is not Jesus. From the time of his resurrection until the time of his ascension, during that time that he would remain upon the earth, he would be meeting with his disciples time and time again to prove his love and affection for them. Paul writes of these appearances in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve and that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. John tells us here in verse 19, in the middle of the verse, when the disciples were in the room, the doors were shut, that Jesus came and stood in their midst. The commentators debate as to how he actually entered with the doors being locked. It seems to be some supernatural passage into that room that we are not told. He had a real body, but it was a body of the resurrection by which he had power to make visible or invisible wherever as he willed. The doors were locked, but he did not knock at the doors and ask for an entrance. And he did not open the locks of the doors and walk in. John simply tells us that Jesus came, however he came, and he stood in the midst of his disciples. It was sudden, unexpected, without any Warning to the great surprise of his disciples, Jesus suddenly appeared in the midst of them. And the very first words that he spoke to them in verse 19 were words of peace. He said, peace be with you. And these words of peace to his disciples would have brought to their remembrance his promise of peace that he had made to them only days before in the upper room discourse and we should look at that passage back in John chapter 14 John chapter 14 and verse 27 Jesus said peace I leave with you my peace I give to you Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. 
he was soon to depart from them. And they had heard the news of his coming departure. But here he promises them what he would leave behind for them. He would leave his peace. His peace would be his legacy, which he would leave with his disciples. Peace I leave with you, he says. Often when men die, they leave their estate or their wealth to others. But Jesus here, he had no such wealth. His only earthly possession was the robe that was taken from him when he was crucified. But here he leaves something for his disciples that is of much greater value and importance to them. He leaves them his peace. Peace I leave to you, with you, he says. Not an earthly peace. Not a superficial peace that is based upon the things of this world. But a heavenly and supernatural peace that is based upon the things that Christ will do for them. Peace I leave with you. And then he quickly adds, my peace. It is my peace which I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The world can promise peace. And the world can speak of peace and hope for peace. But only Jesus has the power to actually give peace. He acknowledges that the world has something that it gives which it calls peace. But it is a temporary, fragile, and superficial peace. And it is often, very often, a peace with sin. But the peace that Jesus gives is a solid, true peace that comes only from him. My peace, which belongs to me. This is the peace that I will give to you. It comes from me. Do I give it to you? Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit In this upper room discourse, numerous occasions, back in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give to you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. And in the previous verse, verse 26, he promises again, the Holy Spirit who will be given. And this peace that he promises will come to men by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And so Jesus will give this peace, but it will be a peace that comes by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. And the peace which Jesus promises is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament peace, which is called shalom. The peace of shalom, often translated in our Bibles, Peace, the peace of shalom, is a well-being of the entire person. It is peace in the deepest and the most permanent sense. Not just an absence of strife and turmoil, but the highest possible blessing, a blessing of wholeness, a blessing of harmony, a blessing of happiness and joy, which pervades all of life. A peace that can only come by the, from the presence and the favor of God. This shalom peace can only exist 
in those who have a right relationship with God, in which all sin, all conflict with God has been removed. And with this peace, with God, all other blessings from the shalom, peace, flow into every aspect of life, harmony in one's relationships with others, fulfillment in all of one's undertakings in life. And the supreme passage of the Old Testament that speaks of this shalom peace is the ironic blessing that is found in the book of Numbers, chapter 6. We'll look at that for a moment back in the book of Numbers. In the Old Testament, chapter 6. And Moses commands Aaron, the high priest, to speak this blessing upon the people. And we read of the Aaronic benediction or the Aaronic blessing in verses 24 through 26. This is what Aaron was to pronounce. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you shalom and give you peace. It is the Lord who gives everything in this blessing. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord throughout the benediction. He is the one who blesses. He is the one who keeps or guards you. He is the one who makes his face to shine upon you in his approval and favor upon you. He is the one who is gracious and he is the one who lifts up his countenance in fellowship with you. All of these things come from him and then all of these blessings are summarized at the end in the peace, in the shalom that he gives to you. This shalom includes his blessing, his keeping, his face shining, his grace and his countenance being lifted up upon one. This is, in sum, the shalom, peace that is promised from the Lord. But this was peace here promised by Aaron, the Old Testament high priest. Promised by a high priest of the Old Testament order. But Jesus is our great high priest, the fulfillment of all Old Testament priests. And Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 27, when he announces his peace, he is soon to ascend, not into an earthly tabernacle, but into the heavenly tabernacle in the presence of God. And he is to enter there not by the blood of bulls and goats like Aaron would, but he is to enter by his own precious blood. And there he gives true peace to men. And so this peace that Aaron speaks of, it comes to its ultimate and to its highest fulfillment in the peace which Jesus gives. Peace I give to you, he says, my peace I give to you. Isaiah calls this, looks forward to this new covenant 
that Christ has brought, and Isaiah calls it a covenant of peace. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 54, which we read earlier. Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah 54 in verse 10. The Lord says, verse 10, For the mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. The mountains may be removed, the hills will be shaken, the things of this world, which seem so solid and secure, They may come undone, he says, shaken, removed. But my loving kindness will not be removed. My covenant of peace, which I make with you, it will never be shaken, says the Lord. So this peace in this new covenant, it is a peace that is not based on the outward circumstances of this world or of life. It is a powerful peace that comes from the great King of Peace, our Lord Jesus Christ. Back in the previous chapter of Isaiah's book, we have Isaiah 53, which goes through all the sufferings of the cross of Christ. And what he is speaking of here in chapter 54 is the fruit, the benefits, and the after effect that flows from the cross of Jesus. This is the new covenant, a covenant of peace, my peace, I announce to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. So we turn back to Isaiah chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Sin, human sin, has brought hostility and turmoil into every possible place in this present world. First and foremost, there is hostility between God and man. And that hostility is in both directions. We are sinners against him. And we are alienated by nature and separated from God. And so there is first, first there is this hostility of God against us. His wrath kindled against our sins. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So there is hostility of God against us, but then there is also hostility of man against God because he will not submit to God's will. And then third, there is hostility of man against his fellow man so that we spend our lives in malice and envy, 
hateful and hating one another. Hostility between men. And then there is fourth, an inward turmoil. This endless restlessness of the human soul in which there is no peace within the souls of men. And then finally, last, the whole creation is tossed into turmoil. It groans because of human sin. So the creation itself needs a reconciliation. Sin has tossed the entire creation into this hostility and this turmoil in every place. But the peace that Jesus brings and the peace that he has accomplished brings peace in every place where this hostility is found, an omnipresent and even an eternal peace which he brings. And it all comes from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was his mission when he came into the world to bring peace. The angels announced at his birth glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. And so first there is that hostility of God against us for our sins. But Jesus made peace with God through the propitiation and he removed the wrath of God. Therefore, Paul says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is now at peace with us through the blood of Christ. But then secondly, there is that hostility of man against God. And Jesus, by his cross, has also reconciled man and removed this hostility. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21. Although you formerly were alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. And then there is that hostility of man against his fellow man. Jesus has established peace even between Jews and Gentiles at the cross. Ephesians 2 and verse 14. He himself is our peace who made both groups into one, Jews and Gentiles. No two groups could be more hostile to one another. And he might reconcile them both into one body through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity, peace between men, which is sent to every nation and into all the world. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And then there is the inward peace of the human heart, in which this peace that Jesus gives is a powerful, supernatural, and an effectual peace that enters into the hearts of men. That's why Jesus says here in verse 27 at the end of the verse, he says, let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful, because this peace that I give to you, it will be a sufficient peace for you in every time of need, The peace that I give to you is supernatural, it is an effectual, it is a powerful peace, and it will calm your hearts in every time of trouble, so let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. It is the peace which Paul speaks of 
in Philippians 4 and verse 6 where he says, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then in the last place, there is that reconciliation of the entire creation and peace throughout all the universe. Colossians 1 and verse 20, through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And it is a, an eternal peace which Jesus brings. Because Isaiah promises in chapter 9 that he is the Prince of Peace and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace to establish it and to uphold it with justice from then on and forever. This is the peace that Jesus speaks of here. My peace, the peace that he accomplished by the blood of the cross, the peace that conquers all hostility in every place throughout the entire universe, wherever it is found by reason of human sin. My peace I give to you, he says. We notice that Jesus had to say back in verse 1 of this chapter, the very same words, let not your heart be troubled. And then now at the end of verse 27, he must close the verse again with the very same words, let not your heart be troubled, nor, nor let it be fearful. After so many promises throughout this chapter of their future, of their comfort, prayers to be answered, his presence with them, I will not leave you, verse 18, I will come to you. Promises of his abiding with them in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will love him and make our abode with him. So many promises Jesus gives throughout this entire chapter. But after all of these precious promises, Jesus knew their fears still lie so heavy upon their hearts that he must speak this exhortation to them again. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So this was the promise that he had given them in the upper room at the Last Supper before his crucifixion. But when we come to that evening that we are looking at, in John chapter 20, on the day of his resurrection, back in John chapter 20 and verse 19, a number of things have taken place since that promise of peace was spoken to them. The disciples had shown their sinful weakness in these days. Peter and John and James had fallen asleep three times when Jesus was in his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Peter had denied Jesus that he even knew the man three times when he was arrested. They had all abandoned him. They had all fled for their safety when he was taken to the cross. They had acted so shamefully. They had failed Jesus and stumbled so badly. And now they were gathered in this upper room. The doors were locked. The doors locked. Another sign of their unbelief because they did not expect Jesus to come to them. They thought he was dead and they would never see him again. They locked the doors. But then they began to receive news from various places that Jesus, the Lord, was risen from the dead. Peter and John had gone to the tomb and found it empty. Peter had seen Jesus earlier in the day. Mary Magdalene came now with the words that Jesus was ascending. And Mark tells us in chapter 16 and verse 10 of what she found when she entered the room. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. That's what they were doing. They were mourning and weeping because they thought that Jesus was dead and no longer alive. Then after Mary, the two men to the road of Amarius came and they said they had seen Jesus on the road, but they still, the disciples still did not believe. And as they spoke with one another in this room on this evening, as they heard the news coming from different places of his resurrection, they must have begun to have some fears as they remembered what they had done to him in the days just past. They had been with him, and they had seen his mighty works for three years. They had beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They had been with him through those more than three years but they now had all abandoned him as he was taken to the cross. Peter had been so bold in his confession. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, though all may forsake you, I will not forsake you. And yet Peter had denied him three times with cursing. They had all abandoned him at the cross And they must have begun to wonder, if he is alive, what will he say to us when we see him? It is one thing to have sinned against a man who is dead and you will never see him again. It is another thing to have sinned against a man who is risen from the dead and he might come to see you. What will he say to us? What words of rebuke? Will we hear from him if we are to see him again? There must have been some sense of shame rising in their hearts as they remembered what they had done to him in the previous days. But as Jesus came supernaturally into that room and stood in the midst of them, the very first thing he announces to them is peace. 
Peace I bring to you. Peace I give to you. That promise that, <clears throat> that they had heard in the upper room. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. They must have thought that that promise was now revoked because of their sinful and unfaithful behavior. They must have thought that promise has come to an end, but the very first thing they hear from Jesus is peace I leave to you, with you. My promise of peace continues as it was when I first spoke it to you. Peace be with you. So Jesus did not reprove them, for the sins of the previous days. No words of condemnation did he speak. All of their sins were forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No words from him to remind them of their sins. No bringing up their past wrongs. Only words of comfort. Only words of consolation and promise to them. Peace be with you. Peace to you, not criticism of you. Peace to you, not denunciation of you. And so here we see the continuing love of Jesus, his grace and compassion. So tender and full of mercy is he with his disciples. And it is the same with us, even after these failures even after all of this weakness that they have shown, that he does not forsake us, we are still his brethren, and he still comes to speak peace to us. Paul said to the Corinthians that love is patient and love is kind and does not seek its own. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And that love is perfectly seen in Jesus with his disciples. Peace be with you, he says. We think of how unlike Jesus we are. How quick we are to take into account a wrong suffered against us even over a little offense. How prone we are to hold a grudge and not let it go for a very long time. It ought not to be so. Jesus taught in the Last Supper a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Paul wrote to the Colossians, Chapter 3 and verse 13, he said we should be bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone. Whoever has a complaint, just as the Lord, he says, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 18, 
Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus spoke this peace to his disciples not once, but twice. Again, down in the beginning of verse 21, he says, Peace be with you. He knew how hard it is for us to believe in his peace to us. And how difficult it is for us to rest our souls upon his peace, which he gives. And to enjoy the comfort and the consolation that it brings. And he is so desirous that we have these things, that he speaks this promise to them on this first night, not once, but twice. Peace be with you. And again, peace be with you. And between these two promises, he confirms where that peace all comes from by showing them his wounds in verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands that had been nailed to the cross and his side that had been pierced by the spear. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. The only place from which this peace comes from is by the blood of Jesus upon the cross. There it is purchased. And there is the only source of this peace that comes from Jesus. His disciples rejoiced, as we see at the end of verse 20. Therefore, they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Their unbelief was taken away. They believed that he was risen from the dead. Their mourning was now turned into joy. Jesus was not dead. He was alive. And he was standing in the midst of them. And it was occasion for great rejoicing among those disciples that night. They had been shut up in the room by fear. Christ had come. And their fears are gone. Jesus is now with them. His peace is at work in them. And they rejoice when they see the Lord. They were his apostles. They must take his message into the world. And so he recommissions, he confirms his commission to them at the end of verse 21. And he says, as the Father sent me, I also send you. He reaffirms his commission to them. Nothing has changed since the cross. Then in verse 22, he shows them a foretaste of the fullness of the Holy Spirit that will come on the day of Pentecost. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then verse 23, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, By the proclamation of the gospel that I will send you with, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any who will not repent and believe in the gospel that you will preach, then their sins have been retained. The resurrection is a source of great joy. There is joy in believing in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know much more about the resurrection and what it truly means than they did this night. His resurrection means that our sins have all been taken away by the blood of his cross. The Father has accepted his sacrifice 
raised him from the dead. It is finished, said Jesus, a complete salvation. And there is nothing that we can add to it. His resurrection shows the completion of his work for our salvation. His resurrection is the proof of our resurrection, which is to come. He is the first fruits of those who will be raised. And when he comes again, there will be the full harvest, each in his own order, Paul says. Christ, the first fruits, after that, those who are his at his coming. So death is conquered and a resurrection is sure for us when he returns. What Jesus did this night with these disciples, he has done throughout the world ever since. His disciples are at times fearful and they must hide in some secret place and the doors must be locked for fear of persecution and danger. But Jesus is able to find them wherever they may be and he has power to come and stand in the midst of them And he is able to speak peace to them in the midst of all their fears. And he is able to make them to rejoice even in the midst of such dangers. What he did this night with his disciples, he still does today throughout this world. The locked doors of that room are like the locked doors of our hearts sometimes against Jesus. There are many things in us, even as believers, that are like bolts upon the doors of our hearts that keep Jesus out and keep his peace, his true peace from us. Our remaining sins sometimes respectable sins which we stubbornly hold on to and take delight in them, the idols of our hearts, our worldliness, our selfishness, the fear of what men may think of us, our guilt, our shame, our love of ease and pleasure, whatever it may be, even in us as believers, our sins are like bolts that lock the doors of our hearts. But Jesus is able to overcome our remaining sin. And he must do so. And he is able to pass through any locked doors He is the living one, and he has in his hands the keys of death and Hades. And he is able to come by the power of his Holy Spirit and stand in the midst of our hearts and deal with us and speak peace to us and give us strength and power to overcome our remaining sins. And he is able to do this 
even for anyone who is unsaved here tonight. Whatever your sins may be, they lock out the Savior, but he has power to overcome your sins and to save you. That's what he did with Lydia when Paul spoke the gospel to her. Luke tells us that the Lord opened her heart to respond and to believe in the gospel. So he is, Jesus is your only hope tonight. And you must look to him and cry to him and say to him, Lord Jesus, do what I cannot do with my hardened and dead heart. Come to me and reveal yourself to me and enter into me and speak your peace and speak your truth to me. And we close tonight. We remember Hebrews 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. He is the same as he was on this night. His love for us, his patience, kindness, forgiveness of all of our sins, his tenderness with us as we struggle with sin, it is the same today as it was with these disciples that night and his desire to meet with us, and his desire to speak peace to us. It is still the same today as it has ever been. He has resurrected, he is resurrected, he has ascended into his glory, but his love is always the same and never changes for us. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who has come to us in the gospel and spoken peace to us, taken away the turmoil, the guilt, the shame of our sins. Thank you that he is the great hope of sinners and that he will receive all who come to him and all who look to him. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would draw sinners to yourself and show them your peace and give us this grace as your people as well. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hear us now and bless your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.